Thank you for joining Analytics Today, a podcast series that focuses on big data and analytics, digital marketing, and the latest trends in the digital world. I'm your co-host, Jeremy Roberts, and with me always is my co-host, Samir Khan. Hey, Samir. Hey, Jeremy. How are you, How you doing? doing? Good. Good. Traveling all over, huh? Yeah, I've uh, recently was um, presenting at the MarTech 2016 conference in San Francisco. Fantastic. Yeah. How did that go? It was great. Um, you know, definitely some great highlights. Uh, some of the shocking thing that you'll notice about big data is, uh, you know, the fabulous Scott Brinker was showing his latest MarTech graphic. And one of the things that shocked me was in 2011, there were only 150 MarTech companies on the marketplace. In 2016, now there's over 3,500. Oh, my God. That's like exponential increase. <laughs> it's it's ridiculousness. That's what I, what I call it. It's, it's, it's crazy. And it runs the gamut from startups from two people who are using shared workspaces to start up their own company all the way to very large companies like IBM. So it, it runs the gamut. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, all of this is happening because of the underlying data. Right? Yes, you know that's what it is. That's what is driving this whole new set of development of marketing technology. Because almost all of these marketing technologies are essentially based on the underlying data that it captures. Yes, I agree. Completely agree. So I think even to get started today, you know, uh, we want to talk about our own data stories. You know, I, I think let's start off with a story with from you. Yeah, and so just so that uh, the listeners know, today our topic is lifestyle analytics. Yes. How data is changing the way we live. Uh, so so glad that you brought up the point. I think one of the things that we want to address today is we talk about analytics, we talk about data. Generally, we talk about data in the lines of business. We you know When we address the customer end of the story, when we talk about – uh, how to use data to solve your customer problem, acquire more customer, keep your customers. But today we're going to kind of switch gears here. We're going to talk about how data and analytics are changing life altogether. Uh, so my story, you know, this starts from the first digital device that, that I ever had in my life was a scientific calculator, huh, how nice. fundamental and basic it is. Uh, and this was like 20 years ago, man. I assume like it's, it's been Was a that the Texas, memory. Texas Instruments one? Texas Instruments. Like yes. TI-82 or something, right? Yes. Yeah, so, so I used to live in, I was, I lived in India, uh, as you know, and I grew up there. So when I went to my first year in my junior college, so this would be, uh, you know, right after high school. Um, and I got there and I, I, watch other kids they had this amazing calculators that they could do a lot of stuff that i could not like you know sign cost analysis log calculations and all those things uh and i asked my parents and you know was the scientific calculators 20 years from today were really expensive so my parents asked someone who lived like overseas uh to get it for me instead of they buying in india because in india was like astronomically expensive yeah exactly so then i got that in about like few months they shipped it from international location and I got it. I was so excited. It was like my first device, and I've used those basic calculators. Now with this one, I can do a lot more. This is my personal device. It just makes me feel more smarter, and there was a personal attachment with that device. I kept that device for a long, long time before it stopped working. So if you think about now, my daughter, my two-year-old, she tries to touch every single screen thinking that's a touch screen. 
So for her, our TV <laughs> is a huge tablet, and so is my laptop. <laughs> and, and she gets annoyed and frustrated if she's not able to interact with the device. Like, why is this device not working? And then she goes back to her Amazon Kindle. That's what we got for her. But but times have changed, and so has her habit. You know, the way we were interacting with these devices uh, and cap- the data that was being captured, it's changed completely. You know, today we live in the age where we call as technology lifestyle. Yeah, exactly. We use, uh, data today is being used to enable these technologies. And a lot of people, especially in the tech, you know, geek world and, you know, the world that we come from and we are involved every day, people think this is a technology revolution. But honestly, this is data and analytics revolution. Because of the data and because of the analytics, we are able to transform technologies. Uh, you know, we today we live in the world where we can get a cab within mm-hmm. minutes, and not only that, we can watch on our screen on how the cab is moving through a different street and where it got stuck. Exactly. We can have a personal assistant tied to our wrist that can nudge us every thirty minutes that we're sitting too long and we need to take a walk or stand up. <laughs> uh, so it's it's amazing that how the technology revolution is changing the world. Uh, that's that's how I feel, but I would definitely like to get your take. No, it's the same thing. I think, you know, yours was the TI-82 or 83, depending on what model. Mine was the Commodore 64. Oh, nice. So you're yeah. a little bit more advanced there. Yeah. It, you're it an the, early adopter in that front right from the beginning. <laughs> it was the Commodore 64, and I remember I didn't really do anything but play video games on it. I mean, at the time, I think I don't think they were called video games. It was really – I don't know if you remember that game to where they had a little boat, and um, it was like – it kept on dropping those little – bombs into the water oh yeah and yeah. you had to like move and stuff move that that was that was yeah. yeah greatest game ever <laughs> that was cool. awesome from that i think i got into like a word processor and i remember doing you know my schoolwork and writing a paper or something and i remember even taking classes and you know middle school high school time and they were talking about how you had to learn how to use microsoft word and like mm-hmm. what is this you know and um being able to write things on my word processor and it, and it was difficult. It was hard to get used to, but um, going back into the, the latest, I mean, my kids are four and six years old and the same thing. My kids think TVs are giant tablets where they come up to my laptop and they try to push on the screen. I'm like, I'm sorry, but it doesn't work that way. You have to use the mouse and the keys and they get frustrated, <laughs> you know? And so yeah. it's, it's one of those times when they just, they, they rely on, that type of ease of technology. But when you get into the datas and lifestyles, I think it comes back to that idea that you're saying we're inundated with this data. There is so much data coming through. And recently in my presentation at MarTech, you know, I talked about this idea about the fragmented marketing ecosystem. And this whole fragmented ecosystem has to do with this influx of data. And if you talk about, you know, Scott Brinker's, you know, graphic where he shows that there was about a 150 companies in 2011 to about 3,500 companies now in 2016. Think of the amount of data. Think of the, 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 just the ridiculous amounts of data that you're now getting from all these different tools. I mean, your average marketing stack now goes from what, you know, 10 to a dozen back in the day. And now you have 35 to 50 different marketing applications that you use in your company. How much data I'll ask you somewhere, how much data do you think you actually use within your company? What percentage of data do you think you use? Yeah, you, you're putting me on the spot there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, honestly, I think uh, so. Uh, 
from a data user standpoint, I would say we're definitely not using all the data. We're we're using a smaller percentage of the data that we could be using, right? Because well, I'm that, sure. Yeah. I'm sure based on your expertise, I'm going to say it's at least more than five to ten percent. But the thing is, is that I was polling the crowd. We had about 350 people in the crowd for my presentation, and there was one person who raised her hand and said 40%. I, I really didn't think she was all there. That's pretty high. That's, that's it was really not, high. <laughs> I don't, I think she was drinking a little bit too much the day before, but the thing is, is that the data cooling <laughs> exactly. Right. But the thing is, is that most people ra- raise their hand around 1% or less than 1%. Wow. Or the fact that most, and then after that, the other biggest number of people raising their hands were they had no clue what the percentage was. And I feel like there's this breaking point. I mean, if you look at a, if you look at a graphic of, you know, time on the X axis and the size of your stack on the Y axis, at one point, that amount of data is going to cross over your size of stack and you're going to have this breaking point to where you're no longer able to digest and integrate that data. And this whole idea behind lifestyle data, it's going to take a whole new direction. Yeah, I like that. I, I think that's a graphic that we should have as a part of this uh, uh, show notes. For sure. Yeah, I, I like that. So speaking of show notes, uh, for listeners who have been following us and for the new listeners, just a quick uh, update. Uh, so for those who are interested to learn more about other, our other podcasts and who are subscribing today, you can subscribe today by iTunes. You can subscribe today to us by Stitcher or SoundCloud, whichever is your favorite podcast application is you can subscribe Uh, but if we're interested in learning more about jeremy and myself and if you're interested in getting more insights in the show notes so we have uh, a location which is our websites so first website is datacrackle.com d-a-t-a-c-r-a-c-k-l-e.com you can go there that's specifically dedicated for the analytics today podcast and you can uh, access the previous podcast you can uh, download the podcast. You can subscribe to email and follow us. The second website is jeremyaroberts.com. So that's Jeremy's own website uh, where you can also get access to the podcast and the show notes as well. So those are the two locations that we have created uh, for anyone who wants to access more detail and get connected to us. And there's more to come. Like we're launching another podcast we're going to ta- talk about in the subsequent weeks but we don't want to release any information today. But just FYI, you know, these are the two places you can go and hang out with us. Yep, very cool. So, um, so let's. So today we we want to talk about some of the most recent data and analytics developments you know, that have really changed our life for the good. So, and we also want to discuss on what is possible in the near future. So let's talk about our first of uh, the five areas we want to discuss today. So the first one, health analytics. Yeah, healthcare analytics is is a vast field, uh, and there's so much going on in the healthcare space that I think the data is you know where data can really benefit our lives and lives of millions and millions of people that live in this planet is health. If we can use data and analytics and technology to change the lives of their people for better, for good, yep, that will be the fundamental shift of mankind. Uh, so today. If you just take that one topic, which is healthcare analytics, and if you dissect it, there are so many different areas that it branches out to. To start with, the most easiest one that you know most people can relate to, most listeners can relate to, is the identification of the spread of disease. 
Yes. Now, yeah, I mean, you know, Google was the first to actually use data to develop patterns and show the spread of the disease in form of a world map. They call this Google Flu Trend. Google Flu Trend. And Google Flu Trend was a great tool. Now, they have, uh, you know, they kind of, uh, they're not publishing the data anymore in the Google Flu Trend because they are now connecting with these uh, institutions, uh, medical research institutions, and they're supplying them the search data. But when Flu Trend was available, it had live data that shows based on the search volume where the flu is spreading, what parts of the world the flu is spreading. And we're going to add the link to Google Flu Trends in a show note. Yep. So I was saying that Google is not publishing this data, but there is some archive data that's available for those who are interested in to play with this data. They can go to the website in the show notes. Uh, but then there is another organization that is also active today, and that is taking a different approach. So how Google was using their search data to populate the world map to show the spread of flu there's a company called Health Tracker, which is a very different way. So what they're doing is they're capturing all the world news on the spread of disease. Now, how cool is that? And yeah, they're taking yeah. that and they're populating their health map, which is available at healthmap.org, to show the spread of disease. And I was spending some time on this and I looked at it. It was pretty fascinating. And each and every red bubble that you can see. You can click on it and it will be linked to a news article and the news article will provide you the details on how severe or how intense the outbreak is for a particular disease. It's pretty, yeah. I mean, that's, it, it's amazing to see that, the, I think with all this, it's amazing to see how much information you can get and how many problems you can solve. But I, I think the key there is that people have to be willing to disc- or be willing to share that data. And I still think there's a skepticism around that. Yes, there is skepticism. This is not something pretty common, right? So today what happens is, you know, generally we rely on the news to see if there is any, you know, especially for folks with kids like us, we if there is any outbreak of any disease or any flu that we should be aware of, there are two places we generally get that information, either from our uh, family pediatrician or from the local news. Right, those those are general places. But how cool would it be if we have an application on our device, just like we get those amber alerts? Yep. We can get an alert for a spread of flu, so we can take precautionary measures, like, you know, use hand sanitizers more often, and be just a little bit more precautionary uh, in terms of protecting ourselves and our family from the outbreak. So, speaking of that, what's happening today is the identification. Uh, I was telling you earlier was one of the biggest area where uh, we're going to get a lot, a lot of data to identify and detect the flu faster. But same thing, if you want to take that one step down the pipeline, let's say if a person is already uh, kind of in going through a life-threatening disease, like you know, cancer or heart problems or anything like that. Now, technology is advancing on that front where you can actually detect the stage of these diseases. So generally, you know, when when someone uh, is facing a critical life-threatening disease, when they go to the doctor, the doctor looks at a lot of different data points. And based on these data points, they tell you, oh, you're stage one, you're stage four, or you know, whatever the case is. And all of that is happening not because of the doctor has some cool magic powers, but because the doctor's equipments are analyzing a lot of different data points from your health condition uh, and providing that insight. In my, from a future standpoint, I see that I see all of us having these devices. So today, 
most of our advanced devices are have a fingerprint scanner. Yep. So where I see us going is with the help of the fingerprint scanner, these mobile technologies, the cell phones that we have today, it will be able to detect these high-risk potential uh, ailments that's going to happen for an individual based on the fingerprint scanner that will be available directly on your smartphone in the form of an app. So if your body, you know, certain dynamics, I don't know exactly, I'm not a medical um, you know, practitioner or anything like that, but certain um, gauge and measurement of your body's dynamics will allow us to populate these applications and will tell you if you have a possibility of any kind of life-threatening ailment. So you can take proactive steps, change your lifestyle, go to the doctor and do something about it. Uh, it sounds frightening, but at the same time, it sounds very encouraging, like how we can help save uh, you know, a lot of people's lives by taking proactive measurements. And I think even on a smaller scale, then you look at the use of, you know, smartwatches, you know, um, e even even the wearable tools like uh, Fitbits. And, um, you know, for me, I, I have a, an Apple Watch uh, before that I was a Fitbit user. And, you know, I am an active user of the HealthKit app and I'm an active user of all the different functionalities of that. And, you know, I use these every single day um, to be able to track my own you know, my own personal health, but I, I really, one of the things I think is important is that I've actually checked the box that allows my data to be sent back and used for further purposes to be able to, you know, to combine that with other users. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. That's great. So you're kind of contributing indirectly to some of a greater cause, uh, you know, that can help analyze these data and compare like healthy, healthy individuals with, uh, other people and, you know, try to derive some insights from it, which is fantastic. Yes, completely agree. Very cool. That's great. I, and I like, uh, like you were saying, from simply put, if you're using a technology such as Apple Watch that has a heart rate monitor, just by monitoring your heart rate on a daily basis and making sure your heart rate is healthy, I've seen some of these studies that shows just by doing that one small step, you can prevent and improve your lifestyle quite significantly because heart rate is one of the early signals. Again, I'm not a medical practitioner, but as far as I've done some research on this, the heart rate is one of the early signals that can actually detect future possibilities of ailments. Absolutely. And, and so let's get into the second area, personal transportation. So the example that you brought up earlier was like an Uber app. And the whole idea that you can you know, use this, use this kind of app to be able to, and you can see exactly where that little car is on that app and how long it's going to take to get to you. I, for me, in the amount of travel that I've been doing with my job, it, it's just changed the way that, that I've, that I've used personal transportation and the data behind that. It, it, it's, it's specific to me. It's specialized to me. And for me, my customer experience has just quadrupled almost. No, I agree. I mean, uh, that's a great point that you bring up. When I was doing a lot of travel, uh, Uber was, you know, lifesaver, right? It was a tremendous help. It was a tremendous lifesaver. I could call the cab whenever I want. I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to wait for anything. Um, I don't have to work, wait for any delays. I can quickly see how long it's going to take and I can plan my trip. So personal transportation has completely transformed. And I would say not only from a consumer standpoint, but also from people who are interested in becoming uh, an Uber driver. 
Yes. Uh, and I actually applied for the sake of understanding how their technology works. And I was pretty fascinated. So people are, you know, people are really excited on the consumer and how they can call a cab and within minutes they don't have to carry cash and all of that is transactions taken care of automatically and this and this happens around wherever you go in the world, wherever Uber is available. Now on the driver side, it is more fascinating because what they have done is they have done advanced level data analytics on the driver side. So when you become an Uber driver and there's a separate app that you have to download, and what they do is they provide you insights onto what part of town you can find a ride. Hmm. Yeah, you, what part of town you can find customers. So every single time, because I'm subscribed to their text message, you get messages on what's happening in Houston. Uh, since I live in Houston, what part of town is busy? What hour of the day is busy? Uh, so if there's a concert that's happening, they're going to notify me there's a big concert happening. They expect 45,000 people to show up. Uh, in that concert. So all of that notification comes to you. So that's one piece. The other piece is they also do sort of, uh, you know, hourly uh, demographic of traffic reporting. So they tell you, like, avoid these locations and go to this location. So I can swizzle down and go to the other location so I can find uh, a customer. Uh, then they give you notifications on upcoming changes to their program and how drivers can benefit it. They have also done a lot of gamification using data. So let's say if they need a lot of drivers, uh, they send out note like you're going to get 50% discount on Uber's cut if you go and drive and pick up a customer. So they're doing a whole lot of data analytics more than on the customer side, on the driver's side. Mm. And that is one of the biggest reasons why they're using personal transportation analytics and transform the entire industry of personal transportation, which is phenomenal. The interesting part is that, you know, this is an innovative technology that's really transformed the way people have used personal transportation. But, you know, it's almost as if there's still, and this is my frustration with it a little bit, is that there's still a, a segment within, you know, the people today who've still yet to adopt that. And, you know, you look at, this is 2016, this is the time where data is really changing the way we live. It's changing the way we, we you know, we use our lives. And there are still people out there who are have still yet to fully adopt that data is the way, you know, that we live our lives. We use data to live our daily lives. And and there are still companies out there, there's still societies and, and, and uh, organizations who still yet to adopt and accept companies like Uber or even like the Apple Watch and the type of data that's been given because they're, they're not seeing it as kind of like a kind of societal change, you know, that's helping society move forward. No, absolutely. And that's a great point that you bring up. Uh, it is – I was studying this guy. He's a, one of the chief uh, – uh, more like a chief thought leader at Google, and he was doing some type of uh, predictions – on how, you know, generally we follow the Moore's Law, mm -hmm. where every few years the, the processing speed doubles or triples. Yes. Uh, what he was saying is because of the advancement in technology, the Moore's Law is no longer hold uh, true because it was calculating, you know, based on the old days when we were launching new technology and new competition powers, uh, there was a certain uh, time lag between the improvement and doubling of the processing speed. Now it's like quadrupling and exponential growth in the couple of years. So that with, with improvement in the processing speed and compute power and the calculation of data, 
all of the rest of the world is going forward in a much faster rate than you could imagine. Hmm. Uh, so great. Uh, so let's move on to the next part, which is also very interesting for us coming from the marketing side, uh, which is location marketing. Or also known as geolocation. Right. And, and so I actually, I've, I've seen this trend. I, I remember going to a few, there, there was a geolocation conference that I went to back in, I think, 2011 in Chicago, back when both you and I were working together at uh, Rackspace. And, you know, it, it was, it just revolutionized the way that people use data and, you know, it localized based on regions or location. I mean, looking at now, I mean, the different options out there, Google Now, Google Glass, and, you know, various mobile apps. But, you know, there are some that have taken into adoption. There's some that have, you know, launched into the market and really lost its, uh, lost its value. You know, Google Glass really didn't have that same adoption that um, everybody thought it would have. But, um, you know, I, I still think mobile apps today, you know, having that geolocation really changes the way that, that users interact with their, with their mobile apps. And e- even with that, I mean, you look at the functionalities and the uses of beacons, being able to walk into like your Best Buy within a certain location and knowing that you're from that location, you previously looked at something on the website and being able to speak to you directly. No, I like that. I think location technology has its advantages and disadvantages. In terms of, like, since we're talking about personal analytics and personal data, uh, I think sometimes these location technologies get too personal. Yes. Uh, you know, it, it is, there's a limit on how I want the technology to be interacting with me. Uh, and how much I want to take advantage of that. Although I am okay if the personal in personally identify information, the PII is stripped out, mm-hmm. uh, and I, my data is used more in the lines of a data point that you know X Y Z customer more so than Samir Khan uh, as a customer. So I think I like that part where I think from a marketing standpoint it is useful if we strip out that PII and use uh, and then target it based on the behavior not so much on me as an individual. So great example is Google Now. Uh, you know, so if you activate Google Now in your, on your Android devices, it will tell you if you take a common path uh, every single day from home to work and work to home, it will tell you the traffic, it will tell you what's going on in your way and how long it's going to take to get there. Uh, it will assist you in location targeting. Sometimes I see Google Now even if my device is and my screen is shut off, it uh, you know shows some of the ads. Uh, if I'm passing a nearby Starbucks or any promotional area that you know people are putting promotion on Google, I see some of these. Sometimes it seems to be intrusive, but sometimes I like it. You know, sometimes I'm passing a Krispy Kreme donut shop and I will buy some donuts, and if there is a, a sale going, on, I would rather stop there and take advantage of it. Uh, but most of the time, I might feel like now that's too much because I don't necessarily want to buy Krispy Kreme now. Uh, I'm not. I'm not interested. Why are you showing me this ad? Yeah. It, it, there's a probe connected to your stomach. I think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, my my kids love donuts. Yeah. And the other thing I was I was gonna say uh, for one of the area where I saw this personal analytic location marketing useful was uh, the meeting invites and you know especially handling the meetings. And if I am going to a specific location to attend a meeting. Or if I'm getting delayed on those meetings, so I see some of these apps like when I use a meeting Mughal, uh, that is a pretty good job in 
I telling me how far I am from that meeting location and mm-hmm. how long it's going to take me to get there, uh, and what will be the uh, when will the meeting starts and who all are invited. So all of those location specific activities that are pertaining to my meeting is very helpful. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think for me, even just my daily life, having that ability to have that location service, being able to tell me when do I need based on traffic and so on. I mean, you, you look at you look at the popular trends in mapping software. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that use the you know the built-in Google Maps or they have their Apple Maps. But what's the newest craze? Social-based ways. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's yeah. using ways now, and, yeah. and and it's really it's because people have have offered to share that data. It's being able to use that collective data from different people to be able to find the best way to get to your to your destination. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic point. And and uh, the earlier comment I want to reemphasize in the beacon technology. Uh, when you are in a store, you know, for instance, Macy's or Best Buy, like you mentioned, any one of those stores that are using the beacon technology, mm-hmm. it it is phenomenal, right? Especially if you are in the store, you have already done your research and you have come to the store, you're looking for a specific item that you want to purchase, and then all of a sudden you get a message on your device on if that particular item is on sale or if that particular item is on uh, a special promotion yep. um, or anything that interests you or maybe you're going to buy a coat and with that coat you're going to buy sunglasses. Uh, I think those types of uh, promotions and those types of activity are phenomenal. Even in conferences, like I've seen these beacon technology if you have – so I was at the Adobe conference last week and uh, – where if I'm passing a specific vendor and if they have a partnership with Adobe on their app, then you see a message like come visit our booth. So hmm. on those areas, these location marketing becomes very useful and it doesn't feel like it is, uh, you know, kind of piercing your privacy lines where it's more of a, that I requested something and I'm getting that. Yeah, that, that makes perfect sense. Very cool. So let, let's go into the fourth one, um, home analytics. And so, you know, I personally don't, but do you, do you actually have a Nest thermostat in your house? Not at this time. I was considering that. Uh, so the reason why Nest thermostat was invented, Nest thermostat is kind of, they position it as using it's a lot of data and it's using some of the behaviors, it's doing some of the sensory technology. But fundamentally, it's a scheduling thermostat, right? The basic concept of Nest is automatic scheduling of the temperature to save you money. Now, what I do, I have kind of figured out how to make use of my general thermostat. So I've already set up timers when we're out, when we're inside the home, when it's hot outside, when it's cold outside. So I've done a lot of that. A lot of it's, but the way the thermostats are set up, you really need to have a little bit of technical knowledge into set those basic thermostat up based on the way you want it. True. It is hard. You know, it's not easy. So they saw this and they took that data, the underlying data and sensor technologies to build an amazing piece of instrument. All you got to do is switch that flip on and, you know, use the dial to set the temperature you want and then will automatically start doing this so you don't have to worry about it. And then you can set it up using your cell phone because there's an app that connects to it. So it makes the whole thing seriously usable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that is the biggest advantage that I see. And the reason why they're taking advantage of this because they're collecting data. Or yes. they're, they're using sensors. They're collecting data. They're populating the data in different 
endpoints. One of the endpoints is your thermostat. One of the endpoints is your mobile device. Mm-hmm. So you can take care of that, which I think is awesome. You know, it saves you money. It saves you time. You don't have to worry about. You don't have to run, read, uh, you know, ten points of literature and how to <laughs> program your thermostats. Yeah. yeah. So it's making our lives easier. Yeah, and I think that goes the same for you know the smoke detectors or even just home sensors. I mean, for me in my home, you know, we we have an alarm system that's set up, and and with that, it's all connected through, you know, digital home sensors around the house, and I get everything on my mobile phone, you know, if I need to be able to see what's going on at any time and be able to check alerts to see what the dog is doing. Hopefully the dog's not on my new couch, yeah. you know, <laughs> I'm able to quickly and easily do that. And, and really it just kind of functions itself. There, there's no extra, no extra services needed to be able to do that and, and no extra reading to be able to do that. It's pretty amazing. No. And, and think about the peace of mind. That's <laughs> again, that home sensor, yeah. That you brought up it, what what's happening is fundamentally the home sensor is collecting data right at, at the fundamental level yes what it's doing is it's transporting data uh, to a specific unit and based on the activity on that data and activity on the sensor it will shoot out a false alarm or it will shoot out an actual alarm uh, so it is amazing how and how your home data, your regular activity data has been transformed to develop a security system that gives you a peace of mind when you're away from home. It's just amazing. No, I completely agree. And so let's go over into the last uh, area is entertainment. And so for me, I actually, I don't have cable anymore at my house. I use Netflix. I use, you know, Amazon. I use um, Hulu. Um Mm-hmm. you know, um, sling even and so on. And for me, it's amazing the, the data that they have stored of people who are like me to when I choose one show, the next thing I go into, next time I go into the product itself, it shows recommended, um, you know, shows that I should watch in my queue. Oh yeah. That, that part itself is why Netflix is such a huge company today. Exactly. Uh, when they started, I think Netflix pretty much killed the video store business that Blockbuster and other guys had, right? Yep. Uh, so they kind of uh, reshaped and uh, revolutionized the video consumption industry, and everybody's following their path now. Uh, you know, Amazon came after Netflix as well with their Prime subscription, and you know, Hulu's there. So all these new media, and even the local, even the TV stations, you know, the channel that we had like HBO and all of that, they're coming up with the same fundamental technology where they're having their own app and subscription. But I think what Netflix did, it is phenomenal in the sense because, you know, I'm a student of data science. And when I was doing a research on Netflix algorithm and mm-hmm. how it makes recommendations of when you saw one movie, you're going to make you a recommendation of another movie. It's just amazing on what goes behind that. So they literally had a Kaggle competition. This was a few years ago where they had a price of $1 million plus for the best possible recommendation algorithm. Wow. And there were some of the world's top data science enthusiasts and data scientists that jumped onto this competition. And one particular team won uh, that competition who developed a very sophisticated algorithm that you know improved their base algorithm by astronomical points. Uh, so you know, in terms of prediction, you know, you look at the base prediction and you go from the improvements on that prediction. So it was astronomical jump. And that is one of the fundamental reasons why Netflix technology is so amazing. When you watch 
a soap opera, when you watch a movie, and even in Bollywood movies, I was thinking it's not going to work for Bollywood movies, but it does the same thing as well because I watch a lot of Bollywood movies on Netflix. Uh-huh. And so even if it's a different language movie, it provides very powerful recommendations. So then we once we finish one, it starts another. And same thing for my daughter. She watches a lot of cartoon on Netflix. Uh, again, we are not relying on any kind of a regular TV show. Uh, we rely heavily on Netflix. So one mm-hmm. after the other, she looks at the cartoon episode she watches, and she is glued uh, to her device all the time. <laughs> Sounds like my house. <laughs> yeah, and, and we didn't talk about this, uh, you know, from an entertainment. I think we should talk about the Amazon's Alexa. I, I don't know if you have heard about that. You have read about it. I have not yet. Tell me about that. So yeah, so Amazon Alexa is. Uh, it's a very cool technology. It's a piece of instrument. It looks like a cylindrical instrument. Basically, it works on your human voice. So you can say, Alexa, buy me a product or Alexa, oh, start yes, a yes, music. Yes. I and think I've seen be- those commercials. Yeah, those are yeah. great. Yeah. So it's like Jarvis of, you know, it's like Iron Jarvis Man. for yeah. an Iron Man, right? It is amazing. So, you know, how you, like, you, you're sitting in the room and you're talking to someone, there is no one in the room except for this uh, cylindrical music system, per mm-hmm. se. And what Amazon is trying, Amazon is using it a way that Siri has done for iPhone, right? It is using that technology to not only allow it to play music uh, and play podcast, but also allow it to buy products for you. So, for so example... If- if you need a refill of something. Yeah, if you need a refill, it will automatically let you know like, hey, you might need a new refill for this. And this is a technology that also getting, you know, taking more advancement. Like I heard that there was a technology that was going to build on the refrigerator that will allow you, that will tell you if you're running out of milk and it'll, you know, populate itself. It's crazy stuff is happening. But long story short, I think Amazon's Alexa, the whole fundamental behind that, it, it will become your personal home assistant. Imagine that, like having a personal home assistant so you're not forgetting things. It will send you recommendations and reminders on your devices. It will let you know what's happening inside of your house. It will uh, sense what's happening in your house. It will play your favorite songs and music whenever you need. It's just amazing thing that Amazon is thinking about doing with Alexa. And I think even when it comes into the future possibilities, the future possibilities of this, imagine wearing some type of, you know, fitness device, either, you know, Fitbit style band or, you know, an Apple watch. And with all these features, you know, it may be some type of Alexa, Amazon Alexa tool that reminds you that your cholesterol may be too high or that you're eating too many fatty foods because they can detect (laughs) what's in your fridge and that you need to go and, and, you know, you haven't gone to exercise in, in one week, you need to go to the gym or, you know, things like that. So yeah. I, I really think this is the future. I mean, I'm excited about that. I, I would love to have some type of, you know, you know, computer voice telling me these things. It'd be nice to have, especially sitting in front of a computer all day. No, absolutely. I mean, that will be a, you know, huge game changer for a personal lifestyle. Uh, while, well, while you were talking, I did a quick research, just a name correction. So it's called Amazon Echo. Echo. Alexa is the voice on the Echo. So Fantastic. just a correction for our listeners, it's Amazon Echo that we're talking about. Okay. Cool. So uh, you got any last final thoughts on kind of future possibilities? No. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, I, I was doing some research on that front and I found some, some technologies that is worth calling out. Like I was mentioning earlier, uh, the technology is built on top of refrigerators. 
right? It, today, when we leave for the grocery store, even though we have a list and app and you know all the stuff that we want to buy, when we reach a grocery store and we uh, kind of forget things, even if we have the list, right? And then when we come back and we realize there is no milk in the fridge. Now, how cool it be it will be when we're in the grocery store shopping and we get a nudge, a text message uh, from a refrigerator telling us like, hey, we're running out of milk. Don't forget to buy that. So those advancement of technologies are coming. The other one that I really liked about is uh, the Wi-Fi smoke detectors. Uh, so there is a startup company that is looking for funding today. What they're interested in uh, building is a smoke detector that is connected to your cell phone. So let's say if you're, you detect smoke, it will automatically send you emails or text messages on your phone so you know that there is, you know, there is something going on. Or if it runs out of battery, instead of beeping the whole night and you know troubling you in your sleep, it will nudge you on your device and let you mm. know that it's running out of battery. It's a pretty cool concept. What they did is they took the battery of these smoke detectors and they built the Wi-Fi connectivity inside of the battery. So instead of going and building a whole new device, all you got to do is just buy the battery from them, which will be Wi-Fi enabled, and mm. then plug into your existing smoke detectors to make it Wi-Fi enabled smoke detectors. You know that was pretty amazing. That's that I very thought. cool. Very cool. Yeah. So I think those are two things that I want to mention. I mean, in the technology spectrum, again, on the health side, uh, I was looking at some of these uh, blogs and health analytics side. They're doing a lot of cool things like we were talking about earlier. How do we use the fingerprint scanner uh, to detect your body temperature and you know get other biometrics data uh, from your body? So identify possible ailment. That's happening pretty quickly. Uh, the other thing that I was noticing that Uber started Uber Eats. Uh, so Uber yes. Eats says, uh, I don't have the exact detail of what they do, but it seems like they're doing the same concept that they were doing for Uber transportation for uh, food ordering, right? Yes, for sure. Yeah, I haven't used the tool yet, but I, you know, it's something I may eventually be using with all my travel. So Awesome. Any last-minute thoughts from you? No, I, I think it's, you know, I just want to remind everybody to, to go out there and, and you know, if, if you're not an early adopter, be an early adopter. Try these new tools. You know, understand what's new out there and, you know, don't be afraid of the data that it offers. Don't be afraid to share that data and to be able to understand what kind of data is collected because as we can see, it's, it's growth. There's a growth in the data world and that lifestyle analytics is really changing the way we live our lives and it's not going to stop anytime soon. And so, you know, if we, if we embrace it, we'll be better off. And I, I totally agree. If you can improve your lifestyle, if you can save the day, if you can save a few hours of your day, if you can make your kids' lives better and your life better, if you can become more healthier, then lifestyle analytics is the way to go. Yes. Granted, you'll have to spend an extra dollar, you know, maybe $100 to improve and bring that new technology that takes your lifestyle data and puts into motion. Uh, but I think it's worth it. In the long run, it's worth it. Uh, even if you're not looking to get something today, it is good to go explore. So what we have talked about today, most of it, and all of it, will be available in the form of show notes. Again, the website that you need to go to is datacrackle.com or jeremyaroberts.com. Go to each of these, any of these websites. You're going to get show notes, and you're going to get a link for all of the uh, websites and technologies and things that we have mentioned today. Uh, and it is always great uh, to have listeners uh, provide feedback to us and you know provide ratings. That will be great for us if you can how are we doing. Fantastic. Well, great. And um, as always, great to have you here, Samir. And um, we'll see you guys on the air. See you. Thanks. <laughs>